You're now listening to Primetime with Charles Reese, presented by the Bros You Think Network. Enjoy. What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Primetime Podcast. My name is Charles Reese, your host, and today we've got a lot on the, uh, on the table as we will be talking a little LSU baseball um, and, and we're also going to talk about the Saints draft. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in Baton Rouge uh, with the Scott Woodward he, hiring. He had his first day this week. Uh, saw him on Moscona's show uh, or heard him on Moscona's show say, you know, Will Wade is our coach and we stand behind him. So, you know, I think that's the biggest thing to get out of the way. After those trials, we saw uh, the testimony in the Christian Dawkins trial. To me, it seems like you know, LSU didn't have the downfall we thought it was going to be. You know, we saw the Yahoo reports thought the sky would be falling, but it turns out that that really isn't the case. Uh, we saw that there was a, a re- there was a testimony where or a recording played where Will Wade actually was not on the tape, and there was talk about Nas Reed and, and paying him three hundred thousand dollars, and by someone who one has already lied on the stand. Uh, is gotten charged and somebody that you know is untrustworthy. So is this a credible source? I, I don't think so. You know, if anyone took a direct hit from the trial, it's really Arizona once again, as you saw details of uh, Deont- uh, DeAndre Ayton and how much he was getting paid um, from you know Miller over who is the head coach in Arizona. So I think LSU really. Uh, dodged in, in terms of a bullet um uh, of what could have happened you know but um i, I still think that something's going to come in the future in terms of an investigation how deep it goes in that's yet to be seen i think if anyone's going to be made example out of this it's probably going to be arizona uh you know they have a little bit more clout you know funny thing is they're bringing in the number one recruiting class this year and it, the, you know they took a year off of recruiting hard uh, with Sean Miller, you know, getting a suspension and then getting re- reinstated again and, and everything. It, so it seems like, you know, Arizona maybe still be doing some shady things. Um, it's crazy to see that the shoe companies were involved once again. I uh, thought we were past that. But it shows that the NCAA is not, you know, willing to really crack down on these top-tier universities that are in the March Madness tournament year after year because you have to remember this. You know, football was brought up in this, the likes of Alabama and Clemson paying players. And look, at the end of the day, everyone pays their players. Let's not be naive. Let's not be oblivious to what's going on in college athletics. When it comes to football and basketball across the board, top-tier universities are paying top-tier players. You know, not saying that that's the end-all in recruiting, but a lot of these kids are getting paid. And if you don't think they are, then you're just turning a blind eye. You're not, you know, you're just trying to deny it over and over again because these kids are getting paid. Um, now, should we go to the system of pay everybody in collegiate athletics? Look, I, I think to some degree, yes, but you have to figure out the value of each athlete in a way in each sport because football in the SEC brings in a hell of a lot more money than uh, softball, than track and field, than um in a lot of you know a lot of cases baseball 
and volleyball and, and sports like that, you know. Um, so it, it's got to be in terms of a fair scale and what their value is. You have to look at what the professional leagues are, pl- are paying to as NFL and NBA are paying players a lot of money coming out of college. Um, I think that the three-year program for the NFL makes a lot of sense. I saw on ESPN the other day, they were saying, man, it's crazy. They make these kids stay three years. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, when it comes to the NFL, guys are a lot bigger and stronger and they need that, um, that training program that, uh, colleges provide. But back to the point that, you know, basketball is what drives the needle for the NCAA. It it is a billion dollar deal for the NBA or for the NCAA to be running, uh, March Madness and have control of that. And they're not going to try to take a hit there. You, you see smaller schools have been getting some infractions against them. They got put on probation, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't see you know, LSU getting drug into that, being made an example out of, or, or even Arizona at the end of the day, because those programs are on, the, uh, are, are on the rise, Arizona being one of those blue bloods. And you see that the most concrete evidence that there is out there right now indicates Bill Self is being a guy that is paying players. So if you're not going to go after Bill Self, why are you going to go after Will Wade? On wiretaps that, one, play the tapes because I haven't heard them and neither have you. Uh, A testimony from a guy that is untrustworthy, please, once again, let's get down to the business of this because, one, Will Wade wasn't on that, nor was was someone on his staff. So, And more so, it's involving a, a former Arizona assistant who said, you know, mentioned getting a job at LSU. Well, you know, Nasri did end up at LSU, but this guy never got a job. But moving on from that, look, I'm still excited about the Scott Woodward hire. I think you've heard that from our guests we've had in the past, um, whether it be Billy Embody or Josh Lemoyne. I know I have said it over and over again. I think that um, the days are bright and the future is bright at LSU with Scott Woodward at the helm uh, as your director of athletics. Now let's get into baseball as LSU suffers a series loss in um, a a series against Ole Miss at home. First time since 1982 that Ole Miss comes in and wins a series from LSU. Uh, Crazy statistic to think about. But look, this program is in trouble right now. Um, Yes, they sit at 30-18, and 14-10 and in the SEC. Look, they're four wins away from hosting a regional. But those four wins, you're going to have to at least get one and then sweep a team and get one from a team like Arkansas, or a team in Arkansas, who you go up to Fayetteville, where Paul Maneri's had great success against uh, Arkansas, but Arkansas is on a tear right now. Um, They are pitching the ball well, and not only that, they're hitting the ball well. So I think LSU's going to have to come out and, and, you know, they're going to have to light a fire under their own ass. Uh, Excuse my French, but they're going to have to play hard. Um, you know, Friday night, it was great to see uh, Hilliard go out there and, and have uh, four good innings and then have Hess follow him with four dominating uh, or dominant innings himself. Hess looked like an old, his old self. You know, he was barking at guys. He was uh, staring at not only the catcher, the, pl- the hitter, the umpire, the entire bench of Ole Miss. I mean, Hess was going for blood, and, and um, I, I enjoyed that. A lot. Uh, I think a lot of other people did as well. Uh, dominate a team on more than one night, and 
The news of Cole Henry not being able to play, it really hurts LSU at the end of the day because he is probably your best starting pitcher. Actually, he is your best starting pitcher right now, uh, statistically speaking. And what you've seen so far in conference games, um, I really liked what we saw from uh, from Cole Henry. You know, he's 4-2 and two with a 3.26 ERA. That's an ERA that, that is excellent for a Friday night guy although he has been pitching on Saturday. Um, I, I think that you know Cole Henry is a guy that you would like out there this weekend, but you don't have them. Uh, you don't have them coming out this weekend. And instead uh, of your three most experienced starters, you have Eric Walker. Uh, remember, Hess moved back into the bullpen, so we'll probably see um, Landon Marceau and, um, and Mikhail Hilliard once again. Uh, both of those guys, uh, Marceau, uh, with an ERA of 7.04, and um, Hilliard with an ERA of 4.59. So, you know, LSU does not look like they're in the best position to, to you know, win this series, um, but it's baseball, so anything can happen. So looking at statistics, um, look, the, the batting order, you saw it in that Sunday game against Ole Miss, scoring six in the bottom of the ninth um, after three straight singles and then back-to-back-to-back home runs. Um, I, I thought that was great, but then you have um, Fontenot go out there, second appearance of the weekend, and he gives up four runs. Um, not sure what's going on with Fontenot. Uh, it, it seems like it's a trend in his second appearance on a weekend. He just falters, and it just doesn't pitch well. Uh, he started against Alabama. He almost lost a series against Alabama uh, when he had the bases loaded in Game 3. So, uh, you know, if, if you get in a situation, I'm okay with – seeing Fontenot uh, maybe be a long relief, a setup type of guy, but it seems like he's the type of guy that can only come in once um, or, or one time over the weekend. Maybe that allows him to go a little bit longer. Uh, maybe Hess, I think I do think Hess is a guy that can pitch twice in a weekend. Um, now, should they move Hess back to a starter? You know, frankly, I, I actually think that, you know, it, it might be the best thing. Not sure if they do that. Um, not sure what's up with Cole Henry. You know, it's been very uh, – it's, it's strange. Uh, it seems very similar to Jaden Hill as you thought he would be out a week. And then they said, oh, no, just one more week, you know, two weeks in a row just for precaution, just, you know, just to be extra careful as we try to close it out here um, and go on a run to close the season out. And you saw that cost you against Ole Miss. Um while Mikel Hilliard got the win on Friday night, I think that Henry would have gotten the win as well. And he probably would have gone six to seven innings where you wouldn't have needed to have Hess go out there and, and burn up his arm for the weekend on Friday night. And maybe you have Hess pitch Saturday or Sunday in a long relief, or he's your guy that closes that game out on Sunday and you end up winning the series, which you know would be a completely different conversation right now if LSU were able to do that but they weren't um I will say that LSU uh coming back and battling and and scoring the six runs in the ninth after being down as much as 10 to 1 at one point um is something that I do like look LSU right now 6 and 11 on the road um it's just not good um and this Arkansas game is or this Arkansas series is going to be tough um I will say that the hitting has gotten better um, you're starting to see more consistency from the lineup one through nine. I think LSU has their best starting lineup now. 
Um, you know, Saul Garza is starting to see the ball well. You saw you you've seen Dugas come in and, and give you quality at bats now that he's in the starting rotation again. And, and you've got guys on your bench that you can switch out of the DH position where it's um, the Giacomo or, or you put a guy like Bianco in there. Um, you, you've got multiple options for that um for that DH spot, whether you face a right or a lefty. And something else about the Ole Miss series is you saw LSU struggle again against the lefty. I know Paul Maneri said, you know, uh, they've played Louisiana Tech tonight. They face a lefty. And he was saying how, look, we've got Watson and Dugas in the lineup again. And, and you know, we feel a little bit better about facing a lefty. But uh, it's still a problem for this lineup when they face a lefty. They, they just can't get anything going. Um, but I'm starting to see, you know, a lot of guys hitting over 300 or upper 200s. You know, you've got multiple guys that are hitting above 280, which is something you like to see because um, at one point you had four guys in your lineup that were batting under 200, some close to 150. So, you know, takeaways from the Ole Miss series was, man, it sucks to have an injury year when you know you're talented is, you know, you were as talented as you were this year, um, and it, it it's just it's hard. Um, LSU could be in a situation where they go back to back years without even ho- hosting a regional. Uh, in a year where we thought Omaha or bust, I still think that I still think this team is that talented. If they can get healthy, let's say they get a Jaden Hill and a Cole Henry back, and they make a run in the SEC tournament, and not only that, make a run in postseason because a good team is going to come out on top at the end of the day. We saw Mississippi State do it last year, where they ended up in Omaha after not hosting a regional. But I think if LSU can find a way to win one against Arkansas, look, it's baseball. Let's say they win two, and they take two or three from Auburn or sweep Auburn, uh, get to 18 wins in conference. They should be hosting um, a regional. They, they face two teams that are in the top 15 of the RPI, LSU sits at 20 right now. Get one to two wins from Arkansas and win two or three from uh, Auburn, and you will be a top 15 RPI once again, and you'll be ranked um, in a nice position. And, you know, it won't hurt to do well in Hoover. Looking at that Arkansas matchup, uh, looking at their three starters, um, Isaiah Campbell, um, Patrick Wicklander, and Connor Nolan, um, they all have ERAs under five. Um, Isaiah Campbell sitting at eight and one, and Patrick is sitting at five and one on the season. Um, man, Ar- Arkansas is a talented team. You know, uh, their two guys are going to throw out the first two nights. Um, their guys are going to be getting drafted, and, and you know, Arkansas. I don't think they swept last weekend, but they're coming off of uh, sweeping two weekends in a row, followed by winning two or three. Um, Arkansas is on fire right now. Uh, their lineup is impressive too. Um, they've got two guys hitting under 300, and they're hitting 272 and 246, and then your eighth and ninth hitter. Uh, they also have a guy on the bench that's hitting uh, 414, and they're batting over 300 as a team. Uh, so that just lets you know how good of a team Arkansas is. A lot of long balls on the season. They sit at 64. Um, so I, I think that Arkansas sitting at 17-7 and seven in the SEC is probably the best SEC team um, right now. So it, it's going to be a tough series, like I've said. Um, but, you know, best of luck to the Tigers. You know, it is baseball, so anything can happen. So don't give me a hard time on Twitter if LSU ends up winning the series. But 
uh, winning one out of the three this weekend, I think, would be a success. Uh, but I know we were supposed to have Josh on this week. Some of y'all are probably wondering where he is. Uh, we will be doing an episode next week. Not much in terms of recruiting happened this weekend uh, besides Clemson landing a quarterback, and they took over that number one spot overall. So LSU slides down to two. Still a couple of guys that we're waiting to hear on. Uh, safety out in Arizona has yet to commit, but uh, rumor was that he was going to be popping soon. Uh, that was last week after his visit. He may be taking some more visits, but that is yet to be seen. Uh, a couple other guys in state that I think are close to popping. Uh, as camp season comes close, it, it you know anything can happen. I, I do think LSU ends up in the top three with this class. Um, I do think that they end up keeping a lot of these out-of-state guys that they do have committed. There's maybe one or two that could jump ship as we go down um, as we go down the road. But I do think that with this early signing period, that LSU will end up keeping a lot of these guys as these guys uh, look to lock up their spot on this recruiting class as their senior season begins. But today uh, we do have a guest as Lyndon is going to be joining us uh, to talk a little about Saints draft. We're going to talk about the Saints picks. Uh, there are two or three guys that are undrafted uh, free agents that I want to talk about. And we're going to you know, go a little in-depth, look at what Mike Dettelier has to say about them uh, in the M&G draft report. But without further ado, let's bring Lyndon on. So let's go ahead and welcome our guest in today as Lyndon Burton, creator over at the Bros Who Think Network, is joining us today. Make sure you all give him a follow on Twitter at BerlinTheDon. Lyndon, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Gosh, I wish I could change my Twitter handle, but I can't at this point. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, let's talk about the Saints draft. Look, a Wait, lot of quick, quick question, Charles. I don't want to hijack anything, but I really liked your point about paying college athletes and, and just what you were discussing. I just wanted to run this by you, and, I, and I'm like I said, I'm not trying to hijack. I just thought you made really great, great points, and I just wanted to bring this up to you. How do you feel if – because I agree with you. I think it's going to be hard to pay athletes because, like you said, football in the SEC brings in a lot of money. There's the basketball things, and then how do you pay a softball a softball uh, athlete or how do you pay a golf athlete the same as you pay an NFL? I was thinking, and I've had this conversation off-air with people and just in, in my thought process, if you pay the players or you don't pay them, you, you let them uh, make money off of their likeness and you make them let, make money off of their, uh, their branding and they get money outside of the school, and or uh, along with that, you can pay everybody a flat fee if – if the schools must pay, like like a, fl- a flat like monthly of like they get five hundred dollars a month or some some something like that. But for the athletes who are really good, they make the money off their likeness. Like they can sell their jerseys, they make money off their jersey sales, et cetera, et cetera. How do you feel about that idea? I think it's a potential avenue. I, I mean, making money off your likeness is is doable, but you have to think about sports like basketball. Like I said, it, you know, with March Madness bringing in a billion dollars a year for the NCAA. Uh, and universities not seeing as much as they probably should from that. You know, uh, for example, uh, Zion Williamson, a guy that's going to the NBA draft, if the NCAA has taken steps to let guys come into college and test out the NBA market in terms of they can go to the draft. They don't get drafted. They can come back to college if they took the correct steps in the draft process. But those guys, I mean, what's going to stop a Zion Williamson if there is no such thing as the one-and-done rule from not going to college? I mean, the 
NCAA's got to figure out how to stop kids from doing that. As soon as the NBA, you know, uh, abolishes that rule, they're going to be losing. They're going to be losing a lot of guys. But you know, I, I think to get more into it, in, in my side of it, is the reason why you can't pay football players, you know, one hundred fifty grand publicly, is because of of the Title Nine restrictions. And I know what Title IX was, was made for. And look, at the end of the day, I think that that affects scholarships. I, I look at LSU baseball, for example, that doesn't even have enough scholarships to cover a starting, uh, a starting lineup uh, on the field. I think they get seven scholarships, and a lot of those are halves. You know, they might get some half scholarships. A lot of those guys are paying in-state or out-of-state tuition. Tuition, yeah. And they're playing three years or two years if they're, you know, eligible to be drafted early. And those guys can get drafted out of high school. Uh, you know, that's a little different. But I, I just think some of it's crazy. I, I think there's the NCAA is doing a lot wrong. Oh, yeah, I, one of the most corrupt organizations in our country. The, the thing about NCAA football that they have going in their, uh, in their way is that the Power Five Conference and the CFP is separate from the NCAA championships um and as well as all the bowl games so yes the ncaa monitors th- monitors things from a you know from a backseat position but uh I-, I could see power five conferences breaking away from the ncaa in, in the near future oh uh, and doing their own thing I-, I think that that's something that's been discussed it's just uh, will we do it or will we won't you know that would, that would be very interesting another thing is did you mention about how where where's the media attention? Where's the national media attention from not only Bill Self but from the coach Sean Miller coming out and actually paying De, uh, DeAndre Ayton ten k or or hundred and ten k a month? Yeah, you know Ayton's sitting there getting ten k a month from testimony. Look, the funny thing about Jalen Jacoby is they laughed at that. You know that's it, and I agree with that. There's no way that was all he was getting paid. Exactly. But, but that, that's the thing is now it's getting national attention. You did not see Will Wade getting national attention like he did during March Madness from this. I know Dick Vitale tweeted out something again, and it's mm-hmm. like, come on, Dick, play the tapes. And Yeah, you know, Will Wade, I know he Will apologized, Wade, but Will he, was, Wade, he was going on him off. He was giving he went Will on him again. business. Yeah. He went on him again. Oh, uh, yeah. After, yeah, because they had a tape that was played where Will Wade's name was mentioned about payment for Nas Reed uh, of $300,000. And come on, man, if you're not even paying Zion 300K, why would Nas be getting 300K? And exactly. The, the facts around it didn't lead up. You know, this it was two guys that were not involved with LSU talking. One talking about getting the job at LSU uh, did not get that job. So I, I, I don't know. It, it's all cloudy at the end of the day. You know, but what's not is, cloudy is Sean Miller actually be paying DeAndre Aiden. No one's talking been, about it. No, no, they are. Because oh, okay. the NCAA has opened an investigation into Arizona. Ah, okay. And I, I was just mainly talking about Dick Vitale because of what he, what the way he, the vitriol he came at LSU during the tournament. Oh, and he still is. You know, I, it, it's crazy. You know, you go and you look at what Dick Vitale has been tweeting, and, and you don't see much mention of the Bill Selfs of the world. Yeah. You know, where he came on Jordy and uh, Jordy Collada and T Bob's show, he didn't talk about. Bill Self and said, oh, where's the proof? You know, he wasn't there, you know, and it's like, Dick, there are texts that are in, you know, that are in evidence that show that Bill Self is paying guys. They're talking about paying guys. You know, there's no text proof of what Will Wade was doing. Will Wade, yeah. 
you know, but he still went after him. And it, it's crazy, you know, there, you know, little to no mention of anything that's going on besides the small excerpt of a, a of a conversation about Will Wade where he wasn't even on it. So, legit. and you don't even see, and you don't even see ESPN like on the daily talking about or even like like you said, it might be on the ticker and it might have happened when it was breaking news. But when it was Will Wade, every college show was talking about it. And I know there's not college shows going on right now, but it just it's interesting that DeAndre Ayton's getting told he's getting paid. We have the stuff about Bill Self, and it's not making national headlines the way it it normally would. Yeah, I, you know, I thought the crazy thing, too, in the whole uh, case was the mention of college football athletics. You know, the likes of Clemson, yeah. Emma paying players to stay an extra year instead of going to the pros or to in silence. university. And it's like, man, you know, we saw a couple of stories, but that was it. You know, it, it was hush-hush. He's super hush-hush, and, and it makes it even more crazy when you see Clemson just getting the number one quarterback out of California in 2021 or whatever it may be. Yep, I, I agree with you right there. And and I like I said, I didn't want to hijack your show, but I just thought that would be a very interesting conversation for us to have. But let's get into football, man. So, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying that um, the Saints have had one of the better drafts uh, in terms of what they got, and look, that's why the Saints have had multiple good years in a row. Uh, they go from three, seven, and nine seasons to uh, a couple of seconds away from an NFC Championship game to last year, one blown call away from being in the Super Bowl. Uh, the job that uh, Jeff Ireland has done has been incredible. And you saw it once again. Saints, no first-round pick because they traded up from Marcus Davenport. End up trading up uh, from their spot in the second round to draft a guy and Eric McCoy. Uh, no um, uh, no Max Unger anymore as he decided to retire. You were looking at you know maybe having a guy like Cameron Tom play center or, or the guy you brought in from the Vikings, but Eric McCoy is a guy that's going to come in day one. A lot of people had him as the best center. He's going to come in yep. and he's going to be your solidified starter for probably the next 10 years. Yeah, he's, he's a solidified plug-and-play guy from Texas A&M. What I really like about McCoy is, and what a lot of analysts were saying is, that he's versatile. Yes, he can come in and start right away and play as the center, which he probably will do. But knowing how the Saints have had injuries from an Andrus Pete to a Bushrod to uh, our, our other left our, our other uh, tackle, I'm forgetting his name right now, but uh, Armstead, and we're seeing our offensive line getting old, and it's good to have a guy like Eric McCoy who's versatile, who can maybe slide to that guard, slide to that tackle if injuries do happen. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's the thing about this guy, though, is, is he's going to be your center. You, you'll be comfortable with that. And, and you know, keeping a guy like um, Andres Pete around this year, I think is going to end up helping this team. Um, yeah. Just because I think that, um, that, you know, he'll be out there at your left guard position. But let's say, you know, Armstead has not played a full 16-game season. Um, look, Ryan Ramchick, I think, is a, an amazing right tackle. And Armstead, the top three tackle when he's healthy. But let's say you do have that injury. You have to shift Pete over to left tackle. What are you going to do with that guard position? Well, you have multiple options now. Uh, you know, you sign Nick Easton from the Vikings uh, to actually be your center. But now that you have a center in Eric McCoy, Nick Easton's probably going to be your, your sixth offensive lineman. Uh, I know the Saints still like Cameron Tom, and they like Will Clapp. You know, I think that's going to be a battle between Will Clapp and Cameron Tom once we get into training camp. And then you look at tackle, and it's like they're a little bit thin at maybe having a backup tackle. But that's why you have Pete. 
Um, if you were to bring one in, I know Michael Ola's on the team. I just don't think that he's the guy of the future. I'm not sure how good he is at the end of the day. Uh, they might end up making a trade. But look, I, I think Eric McCoy, where they got him in the draft at um, at 48 overall, that guy's a first round grade. Mike Mike yep. D had a first round grade. Um, you know, Andy Benoit had him at a first round grade. A lot of people, from Matt Miller to to DJ, had him as a first round grade. And, you know, people, the knock I saw was that, he, you know, he wasn't strong in terms of upper body. The guy went out and did 29 reps of 225 pounds um, in the combine. You know, that's five less than the number one center that went. Um, so, I, look, the guy's got some speed. He's a hard-nosed football player. I think it looks like he has a good background. He, he's the type of guy that you want leading your offensive line. Yeah, no, he really is. And, and we, it just, it's dope to see the Saints and Jeff Ireland and, and Loomis acknowledge we lost Mac, Max under, but we're not going to be weak on the inside. We're competing for a Super Bowl, and we're going we're gonna to go up and get the guy that we need. He, he fell to the second round. Big move for us. Let's get him at 16, and let's make sure our interior offensive line is strong enough, and we will protect Drew Brees going into the season. Great pick, in my opinion. Yeah, and um, another good stat to look at is in that LSU game where he played 70-something snaps, he allowed one pressure. So it, it shows that this guy against elite talent uh, is able to hold his own. Um, but look, Saints over in round four, move up again to get a guy that fell in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Uh, look, this guy is his ranging ability. I, I saw the Baldy breakdown on him. And, and, you know, he looks off the quarterback, draws a throw, and goes from about 20 yards uh, in terms of uh, verticality from the middle of the field and goes over to the sideline and makes an interception. This guy's got a lot of range. Uh, Mike D had him as a number two safety with also a first-round grade. Um, yeah, I, I think that this guy, you're going to see a lot more three safety sets. I think he can come down and play the nickel uh, if you need, and he's going to be used a lot this season. I am, I am huge on this pick. No, big on it. He has huge speed. He can he can close in on ball carries very well. He tracks receivers in space. He plays that slot safety role at Florida. He's going to come in and, and give us not only a, a quality, quality player, but it's going to give us some swagger that the defense has. Like, you see the guys like Lattimore. You see the type of with, with Cam Jordan leading us. You have young Lattimore coming into a veteran. You have all the guys on our defense, like Demario Davis, setting a culture. And this is a guy that comes in and that can build and add to that culture because not only is he a top talent, he was one of the biggest steals in this draft, and we, we managed to get him a good, good leader, and it's just going to work out well for the Saints getting this guy in Char Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Yeah, you know, the good thing about him or, or a good compare, uh, comparison to him is a guy similar to the likes of uh, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, a guy that the Saints brought in as a cornerback, a first-round pick, ends up transitioning over to safety. You know, Gardner Johnson has the man-to-man -man coverage skills. He played a lot of that in Florida, and he succeeded a lot. Uh, where he didn't play as well as when he played off-ball in the slot or, or off-coverage in the slot. Uh, it, it hurt him more than it, you know, he did well in those situations. But I think this guy, strong against a run, strong in man coverage, is something that Saints have lacked at that safety position in the past. So, look, I, I'm excited about him um, probably just as much or, or not more than Eric McCoy. Eric McCoy being a day one starter, 
um, probably gets a little bit more importance. But I think Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is going to have a spot in this team for years to come. The Saints, you know, last year did not play as many uh, snaps at three safety or in three safety sets that they have in the past. But the year before, they were at 70 percent. So I think maybe, you know, Coleman didn't really work out last year. I expect to see more three safety sets this year. And I expect Chauncey Gardner-Johnson to be patrolling the middle of the field. And look, when he led the SEC in targets when covering the slot with 54, but he allowed the lowest passer rating in the conference at 45.4 when targeted in that slot. So it just shows when, yes, he may get targeted, but when he targets, he the passer does not usually complete those passes or he allows for turnovers, or he makes a play. This guy is someone, like you said, that will allow us to have the three safety sets, play in the middle of the field, and guard that slot role, and allow us to just be more versatile in the secondary. So let's look at the third pick for the Saints. Uh, Number 177, the Saints draft Saquon Hampton safety out of the Rutgers. Um, He sits at 6'1", 205. Uh, He's you know, got a got a somewhere second, third, fourth round grade, depending on where you look. More third to fourth round grade. Look, he's athletic. Uh, he's a guy that I think is going to be playing uh, special teams if he makes the roster. Um, but Lyndon, I'll be honest. When the Saints drafted him, I scratched my head. Uh, I thought there were a couple of guys that were, you know, steals. Thought there were some receivers. I thought, you know, there were defensive linemen that they could have drafted. I really wasn't sure why they drafted Saquon Hampton. Um, I'm sure they like some things about him. And, and the guy, like I said, is athletic as as you can get. But um, he plays stiff a lot is what I saw from watching some film. And, and I thought, you know, with getting Gardner Johnson, I, I thought that, um, you know, you filled that safety void. Drafting Saquon Hampton, if he does play special teams, you already have the likes of Justin Hardy and Chris Banjo. And you paid um, Craig Robertson this offseason as well. So you've got a good nucleus of players on special teams. Not sure why you would want to add another or if you have the roster space to add another. But uh, Saquon Hampton, uh, he did get picked later than where he was projected to go. So in terms of value, I think the Saints did get a good value out of this pick. We got a good value. Look, some of his strengths are he's, he was the team captain. He's a team leader. He possesses NFL size with a frame. He offers big nickel and dime linebacker options. He's an above-average ball tracker, decent trigger to plant and drive off man or on the pedal. He ran a 4.48. He bench-pressed 14 reps of the uh, 225, and he had a broad jump of 125 inches. He's always searching for ball-stripping opportunities, and he operates with a good feel to pursue angles from that box safety position. Some of his weakness includes he missed a lot of games in 2016 and 2017 due to injuries. He's very passive when he pursues those angles from the high safety spot. He rarely uh, runs downhill after the diagnosis and allows the runner to climb up. He's a drag down tackler that allows additional yards after the contact. I think it's what you said. He's he's pretty much an athlete that that the Saints are hoping to not only use in special teams, but maybe that they're a guy that they can mold into someone along with a Charlton Gardner-Johnson to be those future safeties. But it's kind of what you said. That's that's a pipe dream. It's kind of like I don't really get this pick as well, but we'll see what happens with this guy. Well, looking at this next pick, the Saints, I think this is a huge deal. Yeah, in the I agree Mac. with you. Look, uh, you know, people had him rated really high, and the reason they did, you know, the ones that did have him rated high was because of one year. And I know, you know, availability is huge in the NFL, and that matters a lot. But you look at Elise Max's progression. 
uh, guy coming out of high school was the best tight end uh, going into college. Did not have the production at Notre Dame, but how much of that is on his quarterback, too? Uh, Notre Dame did not have a good quarterback last year. So did that affect uh, how good of a season he could have had, which he did have a good season? A uh, big target at 6'4", 250. He uses his body well to maneuver in front of defenders to catch the ball. And he's got great speed in terms of uh, going up the hash. And, and I think that Elise Mack is going to be a guy that is used. And I, I think Elise Mack is making this team. Oh, I agree with you. Look, when you have a guy like Jared Cook as, like, your starting tight end and you have him to be able to teach this guy, Lee's Mack, it's certainly great for the Saints. He ran a 4.740 in that. In his 20-yard shuffle, it was 4.34 seconds. His vertical jumps 36 inches. He bench-pressed 225 pounds 22 times. And so, look, this guy is an athlete. He can jump out the gym. He's fast. He has good hands. Some of his strengths includes he's very comfortable working from the slot. Low-key, a, a Jimmy Graham type. Put him in the slot receiver. He has F athletic ability to become a better blocker because that was one of his weaknesses was his blocking. But if we can get him in the gym, get him stronger, and get better at his blocking, this will come off as a huge, huge steal. He has straight line speed. He, can, he has great um, – twitch speed he can catch the ball he has very very good hand quickness i'm super super excited about elise mac like you are and like i like you said i think this is a big steal for the saints to where this could potentially become one of our future tight ends that we use in our offense well, the Saints go out, last pick of the draft. They go out and get Caden Ellis, an outside linebacker who also played offense while at Idaho, shows his athleticism. I think that he, if anything, makes the team for his pass rushing ability. Uh, he's got the size and the speed to do so. Um, and, and come in those particular third, second, and long situations to make an impact because you know how important – uh, pass rush is and you saw in the playoffs last year or in that Rams game uh, the Saints only had one sack uh, I think that is huge that the Saints weren't able to get after the quarterback you know uh, uh, unhealthy Marcus Davenport uh, I think was a huge key as well as the defensive tackles not being healthy but I think Ellis, uh, the Saints are going to try to get after the quarterback more this season I think if Caden Ellis does make the team I think that's where his impact will come from Oh, 100%. Look, his strengths include he was a four-year starter. During those, uh, during his last two years, he posted 31 tackles for a loss. He also was a capable edge rusher. He had lateral quickness to work those edges. His hands have that twitch speed and is strong enough to swipe and punch and get fumbles in the thing. He possesses adequate arm strength, plus his strength and toughness to rack up solo tackles is up there. But this was some of his weakness. He can dominate blockers, but he doesn't always do it. He got stuck to tight end blocks in space. He needs more consistency when he's going to punch and fury along the edge, and his instincts are average off the ball. But like you said, if he makes this team, I think this is a guy that can help us get to the quarterback and just adds depth in that linebacker position. Well, let's take a look at some of the UDFAs. One guy I really want to talk about because if he lives up to expectation from college – I think that there's a spot for and a need for another receiver on this team. I think Lil Jordan Humphrey out of Texas, who was the number one receiver at Texas, had a good season, went undrafted. Uh, Mike D had him as a number 21 overall wide receiver, ran a 4.7540. Biggest thing is he's 6'3 and a half, 212, has a humongous wingspan, and he goes up and he catches the ball. I, I think that this is a big time uh, target. 
for the Saints in the red zone. I think this is a guy that has a spot and will make this team. Look, we that was one of our draft needs that we had in in this draft was will we get wide receiver? Will we get help with that? And this is someone like you said, little Jordan Humphrey comes in. He's going to bring us that solid slot receiver. He's going to bring speed. And he's going to bring good hands. Hopefully he makes this team. Yeah, I think, you know, he's he definitely has the ability to, um, you know, there are a couple of guys also that are undrafted free agents that I, I think will have the ability to make this team. But, you know, you look at what the Saints do uh, and the Saints already have in terms of, uh, of players, it's going to be hard to make this team, uh, whether you're drafted or you're an undrafted free agent. I, I think that, you know, there are a couple of guys, maybe a running back will have the ability to make the team. But I think that uh, the Saints are pretty set already on their roster. So, you know, maybe four to five guys make the team. But, you know, London, at the end of the day, I I like where the Saints roster is. They attacked the needs they needed to. I thought that they got um, some talented guys in free agency. I know free agency isn't over yet. Uh, Whenever um, the date comes, it should be in a couple of weeks where there's no compensation given for uh, free agents, I think a guy like Ezekiel Anza could end up signing with the Saints uh, to give us some more depth along the defensive line. But I, I like what the Saints have done so far this offseason. No, 100%. Look, man, when you add a guy like Jared Cook to this offense to make to solidify them and, and give that tight end position and, and make us strong and some of the other free agent moves that we had, I really like what the Saints have done offseason. And to say that we've come in, we didn't have a first-round pick because our first-round pick was Marcus Davenport, and to see him progress is going to be dope, solidifying our defense and just seeing what we got with Eric McCoy, Elise Mack, Great fill-in positions for this team. Little Jordan Humphrey, and also getting that that uh, undrafted free agent who's the return specialist. I forget his name. Uh, uh, he was one of the best return specialists in in uh, his class, and he was one of the best return specialists in the draft. And we got him undrafted, so hopefully he makes the team. I'm forgetting his name right now, but I think Las Vegas made a big mistake dropping the Saints. I believe they have the Saints as one of the drops from uh, their 12-13 win season to having them at nine win season. I think they're underestimating the Saints. And when that un- and if we do sign Ezekiel Anza, it's just going to make us even, even stronger. But even if we don't, I think this Saints team should be the favorite in the NFC. Yeah, I agree. I think the NFC South is going to be more difficult than it was last year. I know injuries played a lot. But um, just to throw out a couple more names to watch out for UDFAs, uh, running back from Nebraska, Devine Ozigbo. Um, Wyoming defensive end Carl Granderson, Utah linebacker Chase Hansen, as well as Ethan Grinrich, uh, a guard from Villanova, and Emmanuel Butler, a receiver from Northern Arizona. All those guys are, are noted as being guys that were, had draft grades and were thought to have been drafted players and weren't. So last year you saw the Saints uh, with a lot more draft picks than this year. How do guys that didn't make the roster but ended up on rosters of other teams? I think that happens with a lot of these uh, UDFAs that end up making camp. Uh, Saints had their rookie camp this week. And uh, look, I'm excited for football to start. We're a couple of months away from training camp as that nears in July. And, uh, you know, football will be here before you know it. And I'm, like you said, man, I'm super excited. I'm going to try to get you out of the camps to give these people some inside stories and give, give your perspective on it. I can't wait to hear 
your coverage of the Saints this season. I can't wait to, to watch the Saints play. It's going to be a very, very good year, not only for the Saints and Louisiana football, but it's going to be a good year to be a primetime fan because I know you're, you got a lot planned for football season coming. Yeah, look, Michael Thomas tweeted out the other day, 10-year anniversary of the Saints Super Bowl. Guess where it is? Again, it's in Miami, so let's make a little homecoming and let's win a Super Bowl this year. Facts. <laughs> uh, Lyndon, what you got going on on the uh, network this week? Well, no anime talk this week. It'll be out the new one next week, but that doesn't mean you can go check out the old one. Go check out the last week's episode of Anime Talk. We ranked the future main. We ranked uh, the who will become the next head and face of Shonen, the Shonen comics after Luffy from One Piece finishes. We ranked that. Also, review our shows. But check out the main show this week as we'll be talking NBA playoffs. We'll be talk. We have a lot of discussions this week because there's a lot of topics going on in the world that. We felt it should be discussed. One example, why women's sports aren't making enough money. Why aren't women's sports making enough money as the males? Why aren't women getting compensated for their sports? We're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss trans athletes competing in different sports. And is it fair? We've got a lot to discuss this, this episode, and I'm super excited. You can check that out on Thursday. As well as Friday, as every Friday, we're going to be dropping Bros Who Binge, where me and Schubert are discussing the weekly news from the film and TV world, as well as reviewing Game of Thrones. And that's something I'm super excited for, because we've got a lot to discuss for the upcoming weeks of that series. But other than that, be sure to check out all the old content and all of the recent content on the YouTube as well as on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get podcasts and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. But other than that, nothing too much else on the network this week. Well, make sure y'all follow the Bros Who Think Network at Bros Who Think. Check out Lyndon on Twitter at Berlin the Don. Uh, make sure you follow the Primetime Podcast on Twitter at Primetime underscore pod. We will have Josh Lemoyne on next week talking a little bit more baseball as well as recruiting. Uh, we may have a baseball guest if a couple of guys ever get back to me. But for Lyndon Burton, my name is Charles Reese, your host. Y'all have a great week. Enjoy some sports. And as always, God bless.